0: We are on Sunday number two of what kind of feels like the church in exile, and I'm so thankful for those around us that uh, have some technical skills to make it possible for us to bring this worship service to you over the internet. Uh, I'm adjusting to some new deadlines as uh, we record this now on Saturdays. These are truly strange times for all of us, and we are trying our best to understand what's going on all around us and. The spread of this coronavirus to this area has really been quite limited so far, but there's this sense of foreboding in the air concerning what's coming. And thus we are filled with apprehension and about the future, both for ourselves and for our country. And for many of us, these are days that test our faith. And they have us wondering some things about God and what he has allowed to be spreading across the globe. I've been struggling to sort out some of this in my own mind as well. The question that comes to our minds is, well, why? Why would a good God allow such a terrible thing as this worldwide pandemic, uh, bringing sickness and even death to so many? A a few years back, there was a best-selling book that swept the nation called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. The author, Rabbi Harold Kushner, was trying to understand God, and, and he felt forced to choose, really, between a good God who's not totally powerful or a powerful God that's not totally good. And he concludes, and I quote, sometimes it is too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. Which then comes down to really a belief that God is good, but he's not all powerful, which then makes God weak in some way, doesn't it? And so, is that where we have to land? Is that the conclusion that we have to come to? No, I'm convinced that God is sovereign, which means that he is possessing supreme and ultimate power. And I'm also convinced that God is good. Why do I believe that? Well, it's because that's what I see the Bible telling us many places that we don't always fully understand just how that is possible. So I'd like to have you look with me today at a passage of Scripture that truly explains that he is both, and it's in Psalm 145. I invite you to turn to that with me as, as we read from God's Word here today. Psalm 145, beginning with verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. And they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness." The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in lovingkindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy are over all of his works. All of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Let us pray. O oh, Lord God, as we meditate on this psalm today, we pray that you would open our eyes to who you really are, that we would understand both your awesome power and your goodness and know how to apply that even in the situation that we face in the world around us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jerry Bridges wrote a book that I've come back to a number of times over the years. It's titled Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And in it he talks about God's providence, which he defines as God's constant care for and his absolute rule over his creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. As he goes on in the book, then he he says, note those absolute terms, God's constant care, his absolute rule, and all creation. And, And then he says this, nothing, not even the smallest virus, escapes his care and control. He wrote that at least 12 years ago without a clue of what we would be facing today. David starts out this psalm saying that he will extol or he will praise God day after day after day forever. And and, and why will he do that every day? Because God is great. How great does he say he is here? He says he is highly to be praised. Now as I think of someone who's been praised a lot lately. I'm reminded of Kobe Bryant. He was an 18-time all-star basketball player, won five NBA championships with the Los Angeles Lakers, truly a great basketball player, but his greatness was temporary. And the news is told of his untimely death a couple months back. So think of others highly to be praised, There are some of our current heroes, uh, really all of those that are on the front lines of trying to protect us from this coronavirus, our political leaders and and medical personnel, even though their greatness is fallible and it is limited. Now, if there was somebody that could come up with a cure that would inoculate from or counteract this COVID-19, that person would certainly be deserving high praise, What David says here about God is is that he is way beyond comparison to the greatness of anyone ever. He is unsearchable in his greatness. His greatness is is beyond that that any of us can even fathom. And he goes on to say about God that in verses 4 to 7 here, he he is majestic, and he does mighty, wonderful, awesome acts. So think about that word, majestic. (laughs) For some reason, what comes to my mind is the Wizard of Oz. He was portrayed as being truly majestic, a a mysterious, powerful wizard who lives in this emerald city and and is believed to be able to do miraculous things until this little dog, Toto, comes along and tips over the curtain and exposes this middle-aged balding man speaking into a microphone who really has no power or special abilities at all. He was thought to be majestic, but he really wasn't at all. Now is that the case for our God? David says no. He says about God, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. His greatness would be known for generations upon generations. What acts or works would he be referring to? Kidner's commentary says that this includes God's saving interventions, and certainly what comes to mind then um, of that nature would be examples of God's saving acts to the children of Israel that are recorded in the Old Testament, and there are a number of them. One of them especially sticks out, and that's the Exodus, when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Well, how did he do that? Well, first, he sent some terrible plagues, to get Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free, including then the last of them, the worst of them, was the angel of death that would come to every household and and bring death there if they did not have the lamb's blood on their doorpost. And so after Pharaoh lost his firstborn son, he at last let them go, but shortly after that he changed his mind and he chased them down, and, and we see then again God's awesome saving acts as he did this amazing thing of having Moses hold up his staff so that the waters of the Red Sea parted and they could walk right through on dry land. These were some of the amazing amazing mighty acts of God that that his people told them about for generations after that. Certainly another mighty work of God would be back further away to the beginning, to creation, when God, with just speaking his word, brought into being the whole universe, That we sung about in that first song today complete with those stars and the galaxies out there in space and and right down to the smallest details of the plant and animal kingdom here on this earth and and also mankind and god still truly does mighty acts around us in nature with just the change of the seasons from those three-day blizzards that we had back in december and january to a spring melt that we're now seeing all around us And, and a nice slow one at that, that averted a serious flood and allowed farmers also to get their corn crop harvested at last. Okay, so we see then God is truly great and he is powerful and he's incomparable in power and ability to any ever and he every day performs awesome deeds. However, some of those deeds, like the plagues to Egypt there, seem to us to be severe, don't they? And so are we really sure that he is good? Well, what does David say here? As you look at verses 7 and following there, he makes clear he is good. He says, Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. The ESV says it this way, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. You see, this is what God is most famous for, for for his overflowing goodness. Verse 8 goes on to explain it. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and great in loving kindness, abounding in steadfast love. Is that not so? Is that not true today? Over and over, as we look in the scriptures, we see examples of God being patient with his people being willing to forgive their stubbornness and their waywardness if they will just admit their sins and turn back to him. And we see in the Bible that a love for mankind that is immovable, and really the whole Bible points to this, his willingness to go to the degree of sacrificing his own son to save sinful mankind. John 3.16 sums that up so well, for God so loved the world to this degree that, is, and that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Well, David says here, not only is God merciful in his offering of forgiveness to those who will receive it, but he also is good to all and and even kind in all of his deeds. Now, this is where many of us struggle to understand, don't we? And we end up wondering, well, what could possibly be good or kind about sickness and death and heartache? I'll have a partial answer for you when we get to verse 13 here. But you're going to have to wait for that much, and, and you're going to have to wait longer, actually, to understand more of it, because, you see, in, in the middle of the trials that we go through, we cannot see how God can cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and, and sometimes, though, in hindsight, we see some of God's good hand, even in those things that we've gone through. So go with me here to verse 10 and 11, where we see that God, David says your God deserves thanks and praise from his works and from his people. Verse 10, all of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. God deserves praise from his works. And his works do bless him. Creation shouts his praise, you might say. It's like a beautiful painting on a canvas praises the artist. So creation declares God's praises. Just recently, I went back to the hills around Mackville, North Dakota, where it overlooks the Cheyenne River Valley. And it was a day where the sun was shining and it was melting away the snow. And as I hiked through the hills in that area there, I could see the water just seeping out of the hills and down into the coolies. And as I walked down to that coolie then, there, there the water was flowing under this thin uh, layer of ice. And you could hear it flowing through there. And then it burst out a little further on down. And you saw the sun sparkling, glistening on, on the water there. God's creation was declaring his praise. And, and it sure does this time of year, doesn't it? And so should all mankind and some do David says here his godly ones bless him but you know the ungodly don't instead they curse and mock him isn't that what it comes down to really either we give God credit for his awesome works or we do the opposite and we tend to blame him and curse him for things During trials like our nation is going through right now, there will be those that will be saying, well, what kind of a loving God will allow a thing like this? To which I think we can say this. A a God who has a bigger picture in mind than just this world. A kingdom that is not limited to this earthly life. You look at verse 11 and following here, he talks about his kingdom being an everlasting kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of glory and majesty, it says, far beyond the impressiveness of any earthly kingdom today or ever before us. It says, Your godly ones shall bless you, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. So the kingdom of God is a kingdom of glory and majesty. It's also an everlasting or eternal kingdom. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. You see, really, all of the kingdoms of this earth are temporary, including the United States of America. And that means your citizenship here it is for a limited time until either this kingdom that you live in ends or your physical life ends. And someday for all of us, one of those things will be the case. And I believe that the most important thing in the world, then, is preparing for that reality. I've been reading lately some history, tracing back to uh, my Grandpa Quanbeck's era. During World War I, um, while that was going on, two of his brothers were overseas in the Army. A friend of mine has compiled some history of his family during some of those same years, and he has letters written between relatives there. One of them stationed overseas there encountering the awful battles that are going on in Europe. Another one is back here where the Spanish flu of 1918 was spreading and people were sick and and some were dying from it. When you read those letters, what was foremost on their minds? It seems it was this. They were praying for safety for both of them, one in the army overseas and, and those back here dealing with the Spanish flu. But they were also very concerned for those around them that were encountering those dangers who were not yet prepared to die, who were not ready for eternity. You you see, if COVID-19 scare helps us, helps you or others around you to be ready to face eternity, then it is a good thing. And if it makes us just our priorities in this life, it is a good thing. And if it makes us less caught up in our material possessions and more caring for people around us, it is a good thing. And I say that not in any way wanting to make light of or diminish our concern for the suffering and hurt and heartache of folks here and now, but believing that we in the Christian church have good news to share with anyone who will listen in these troubled times. You see, Jesus Christ said that his kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew no one else who told him how to be ready for eternity. But Jesus had said, truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Jesus is saying there that, that we sinners need not be afraid of death or of standing before Almighty God on Judgment Day because he offers to us eternal life, life beyond the grave to all who will admit their sins and turn and look to Jesus, the Son of God, for forgiveness and the eternal life that he promises them. And God wants you to know for sure in your own heart that you're ready for eternity. And if Pastor Ryan or I or others here at Maranatha can help you to know that in your own heart and life, we would be so delighted to talk with you about that, and please feel free to call us. There's just a couple other things I wish to touch on in this Psalm of David. We see here, David says that God is the provider, and sustainer of all of his creation. And that includes our food, which ultimately all comes really from him. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. God is faithful to give us seed time and harvest. Not always when we would like it, um, but he's done so again this year. And he provides all of us with our daily bread, and, and so in these times he also teaches us who have plenty, to share some of that with those that are short. Verse 16, here he says, You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Even all of the living creatures are dependent on God. In Matthew 6, Jesus reminds us that we don't need to worry about what we will eat because even the birds of the air the Lord provides for, so will he not also take care of you? And then lastly in this Psalm of David I see this, that God is near to those that call on him, to those who call on him in truth. And that means that he hears all of our prayers, if we'll call on him honestly. We may at times feel like, well, God is far away and he's not listening, but that simply is not true. He says that he's right close, he's waiting for us to call on him if we will just do that honestly and not trying to hide anything from the all-seeing eyes of God, but just coming to him just as we are, humbling ourselves in admission of our sins and asking him for his help. And he promises to hear our prayer and to answer and and to lift us up again. Verse 14, he sustains all who fall, raises up those who are bowed down. We truly do have a great God. And he is all-powerful. And he is also good. And he loves us all very much. And he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we don't always understand his purposes, but he asks us to trust him and to call out to him in prayer, asking for his help. Somebody posted on this, this last week, a simple saying Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. I read uh, recently a devotional from Paul David Tripp, dated March 26th. I'm going to share a part of that with you here as I close our uh, sermon today. He says, you and I will never find inner peace and rest by trying to figure it all out. Peace is found in resting in the wisdom and grace of the one who has it all figured out and who rules it all for his glory and our good. And he goes on to explain with this illustration. He says, when our children were very young, when I would refuse to let them do something they didn't understand why, they would begin to protest. And I would get them down, I would, I would get down on my knees with them so I could be face to face and I'd talk to them and the conversation would go like this. Do you know your daddy loves you? Yes, I know my daddy loves me. Is your daddy mean and bad to you? No, you don't like to be mean. Is your daddy a horrible, bad daddy? No. Well then, listen to what daddy is going to say. I would like to tell you why I had to say no to what you wanted to do, but I can't. If I explained it to you, you wouldn't understand anyway, and so here's what you need to do. You need to walk down the hallway and say to yourself, I don't know why Daddy said no to me, but I know my Daddy loves me, and I'm going to trust my Daddy. I really do love you. I love you too, child. Then he wraps it up with this. There is so much we don't understand. There is so much that we are incapable of understanding, and so rest is found in trusting the Father. He is not confused, and He surely does have your best interests in mind. And yes, He will ask you to do hard things, and He will bring difficult things your way, But he is worthy of your trust, and he loves you dearly. Today your Heavenly Father reaches down to you and says, I know you don't understand all that you face, but remember, I love you. Trust me, and you will find peace that can be found no other way. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you today that you love us that you know all that we're going through. Lord, we are reminded that you have awesome power. We see that displayed all around us regularly. And and so, Lord, we look to your awesome power to help us in this time of crisis, to save us from this coronavirus. We we pray for your protection for for each of us and for those that we know and love and, and for people all across this land and the world. We pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to leaders of our land in this time. May each of them humble their hearts and and look to you for, for wisdom that is way beyond what they have. And we pray that you'd give wisdom to each of us personally to know how to conduct our lives in these very different times. Help us to trust you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for us who know you and who know the promise of eternal life, that you would use us to offer hope and help to a world around us that so needs Jesus and that needs also to be ready for eternity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.